right. Well, we are so blessed to have such a great uh, leadership team at the elder level in our church. And they, the good work that they do and the great governance that they provide trickles down into every aspect of our church. And it trickles down in blessing because they do such a good job. So uh, we're very grateful to have such good guys uh, who are leading and uh, the ways that they have led in the past and continue to lead. Um, this is week number six in a six-week series. So it's the very last one, and I realize I probably won't be able to touch everything I want to touch on today, but our series is called Hearing God. We've been talking about um, does God still speak today? We, the answer I've been giving for many weeks is yes, and then I've been trying to uh, encapsulate that in how to hear God's voice, how God commonly speaks. We talked about how the most common way that people experience God speaking today is through their own thoughts. They'll have a thought and they'll say, maybe that is God trying to nudge me or to give me an impression towards action. But we're all on a journey of trying to discern uh, when God is speaking to us and also how to act out his guidance and direction in our lives. And so today I want to uh, give some guidelines in listening for God's guidance. Some guidelines. Uh, because um, it's important for us to not only... Uh, I think it would be great if hearing God was common in the church. also think it's something to be careful of in the church. I think both. And so uh, I want to give some guidelines here this morning to help us to stay uh, balanced in this regard and also so this can be a great blessing in the church. So I want to give you four things. I'm going to start with this and then go on to, something, to some nuances. But I want to give you four things that hearing God must not replace in the church. Four things. And the first one is Bible study. Now, I've been saying this probably week after week, but I just say it every week because I, I think it's so important. We made sure that this series coincided with a Bible reading plan. People have been reading through the book of John. If You, you should be done the book of John by now. And then also uh, the first 30 chapters of Psalms. We thought that's just great stuff to be reading. And it's also great stuff for the Holy Spirit to bring back to your mind in a time of need in your life. So... Uh, just, let's start with 2 Timothy 3.16 to talk about why Bible study is so important. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, if you want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, well, you should start with the Word of God. You should start with Bible study. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. Now, I can't say that about every time someone thinks that they've heard from God. Because the difference between the scriptures and us hearing from God is that we are fallible and God is not. We are fallible. We can make mistakes. We can get it wrong. We can think that what we're thinking is God's thoughts and it actually might be our own. We're a mixed bag of motivations. And so we have to recognize and embrace the fact that we are fallible. I want you to come out of this series with two things. One, a confidence that God wants to speak to you and direct your life, but also a humility to recognize that you can get it wrong and so that you'll be careful with this so that it is a blessing to the church and not something that uh, becomes a discouragement to the church because that's what it's meant to be. Joshua 1.8 talks more about this value. Uh, this was the instructions to Joshua. Keep this book of the law always on your lips Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
So if, you've, if you think you've heard from God and it contradicts the clear teachings of Scripture, you'd better not act on it. It won't lead to you being prosperous and successful. But the Word of God will. So be careful to do what the Bible teaches, like the Lord was speaking to Joshua. Be careful to do what the Bible teaches and be careful also with any message that you sense, that you hear, or someone else says that they've heard, but contradicts the Scripture. Be very careful with that. You, you know that's not how it's supposed to work because God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't contradict himself. So hearing God must not replace Bible study. Secondly, hearing God must not replace good counsel. Good counsel. Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 14 says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Now many North Americans buy into an individualistic worldview of acting and thinking independently. I'm going to do this on my own. But wise people realize that they don't know everything they need to know. And that life is too short to learn it all through trial and error. And so they ask for advice. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of fools seems right to them. You ever been in a situation and say, this seems right, and then later on you're going, that was not right. I've had that experience many times. Wow, by myself I can get fooled. I can say, oh, I'm sure this is right. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And of course, if we ask ourselves, which would I rather be, a fool or someone who is wise? We'd often say, well, yeah, we want to be wise. One of the big difference makers in this is being open to listening to advice. So you say, I think I've heard from God. Get advice. Bounce that off somebody. Somebody you know who's wise. And that will be helpful. That will help to take something uh, that is meant to be a blessing in the church and to make sure that it is a blessing. Hearing God also must not replace common sense. It must not replace common sense. Proverbs 3, 21 to 23 says, My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. That's an incredible promise. Going on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. Well, how do you get there? Well, you preserve sound judgment and discretion. So what is common sense? What really is common Some people say there is no common sense. Nobody agrees on what's sense anymore. I don't know if that's true or not. But I do know this, that you make observations about life. Some of it is through trial and error. Some of it is through, you know, learning from others. But you make observations about life and you go, well, this is how it normally works. That's common sense. This is how life normally works. And you shouldn't throw that out. You shouldn't say, hey, man, I, I can hear from God now. I don't need to have common sense. No, you need to have common sense. It's common because in most situations, that's what you should follow. Now, there are exceptions. This is how it is different from, uh, I said, you should never take a, a, a word from God that contradicts the clear teachings of Scripture and follow it. Sometimes you will do something that's not common sense in following a, a word from God. Sometimes. But it's not the usual. In fact, Phil was just talking about, it brings it to mind, he's talking about he, uh, with the IT guys, right? He'd take his computer to the IT guys, and then he'd go away <laughs> so they could fix it, right? That reminds me. It reminds me of a story I've told you before. I told you the, the crazy story, the non-commonsensical story of praying for a woman's computer. Do you remember me telling that story? Some of you, any of you remember that? Okay, some of you remember that story. Okay, 
that was not a common sense action. When your computer is broken down, you go to the IT guy. Or you call your grandkids, <laughs> right? Because they know how to fix it. You don't. But that's common sense. That's common sense. So I told you a story of how I was in the States on vacation with my son. I was staying at an Airbnb, and I met this lady, Cynthia, and her computer. She dropped it on its corner. It was a MacBook. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't charge after that. She tried everything. I tried to help her one day, tried everything, didn't work. What's common sense? Go to the Mac store. Take your MacBook. Get someone smart. In my office, I'm not the smartest guy about computers. I'm way down on the totem pole. Almost every other staff member knows more about how to handle their computers than I do. I would not be the person you would take your IT advice to. But I felt God, or I, I had an impression. I had an impression. It was a thought. As I was walking out, you know, one of those many days I stayed in this Airbnb, I, I was walking out and I asked Cynthia again, how's your computer? She'd had it plugged in for days. The light wouldn't light up on the little, you know, chargey cord. Max have those little lights that light up. It wouldn't light up. It wouldn't charge. She couldn't get anything out of it. She tried everything. And I had this impression, pray for her computer. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's what my wife does. Actually, you know what? I wasn't that resistant. I, I normally am that resistant. But in that moment, I felt like, okay, I'll do that. Now, let me just put it into context. The risk for me was low. I was in the States. I was far away from home. I'm never going to probably meet this woman again in my life. If she, comes off, if she thinks I'm a religious nut, that's the risk. Not much more. Right? Boy, those people in Canada, they're religious nuts, not like us sensible Americans. You know, if that's what actually was her assessment at the end of it, it's not a super great risk. Anyhow, I just said, Cynthia, would it be okay if I pray for your computer? This is not common sense. But I felt a nudge from God, so it was an exception. It was an exception. And I prayed for a computer. And if you heard the story, I, put, I laid my hand on the part of the the keyboard, like not on the keyboard, but on the side, because I didn't want anything to be like non-scientific about this process, because if God's going to do something, I want to leave lots of room for God to do something. I said, God, you know Cynthia needs this for work and to contact her family. Would you heal her computer? It was weird. It's a weird thing to ask. It was strange for me, but I was just simple faith. And blink, the light came on, she jumped back, and the game was changed. And she believed right away. She said, whoa, you have incredible faith. That's not actually true. I don't have really high faith. I do have faith in, uh, in the right area, in the right person, right? Of course, she was a very spiritual person, open to almost any spiritual category. So she immediately said, who helps you do that? And I said, uh, you know, nothing, basically, because I was sort of, you know, I was sort of amazed in the moment, too. And so she reached into her purse and she pulled out a deck of cards and she said let's do a spiritual exercise we're going to find out which ex ascended master helped you to do this miracle <laughs> and I said uh, no I said I only pray to Jesus I only pray in the name of Jesus that's all I ever do and I said this happened today because God loves me and God loves you Cynthia now, I had learned from, well, I had several conversations with her through the days. And so there was a, a trail of breadcrumbs I think the Holy Spirit was using, like the day when I wanted to go to church. She said, where are you going today? Are you going to the beach? 
yeah, I'm going to the beach because there's a church. There's a church service on the beach. So she already knew if she needed to follow up and find out more about Jesus, that there's a church on the beach she could meet with that I'd already gone to. She probably thought I was crazy. But anyhow, lots of things in part. Was this common sense? No, it was not common sense. I have not decided to open up a shop on Main Street to fix people's computers. <laughs> because I think mostly when your computer is broken, get an IT guy or a grandchild to fix it. That's common sense. But there are exceptions, okay? But you don't throw out sound judgment and discretion. They will bring safety to your life. They will help you not to stumble. Okay, so do you understand? I'm trying to be really clear. If you think, I don't have to do things that are commonsensical anymore because I'm hearing from God all the time. That is a dangerous pathway. But there will be exceptions. But recognize there are exceptions. There are exceptions. In this case, I thought it was low risk, high reward, and it was a high, high reward. Here's the fourth one I want to lay out for you. So, hearing God should not replace studying the Bible. It should not replace good counsel. It should not replace common sense. And it should not replace human authority. Human authority. Romans 13, 1-2 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So my mom taught me growing up, unless an authority, including herself, asks you to disobey God, you should follow their instructions. Unless they ask you to sin, unless they ask you to disobey God, you should follow their instructions. I was so excited because I could hardly wait for my mom to ask me to disobey God because I was really looking forward to rebelling. She tricked me. She never asked me to do that. That's a joke. Whatever. Doesn't matter. She never asked me to disobey God, and so I never had a chance to disobey her and rightfully rebel. Anyhow, that's the point. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So you have a teacher in the classroom. You should, unless they ask you to disobey God, you should obey them. You have a policeman on the street. Unless they ask you to disobey God, you should obey them. Revenue Canada on your tax form. That's coming up, isn't it? Unless they ask you to disobey God, you should obey them. And fill your form out correctly. Even a, a pastor in a church. Now, that's weird for me to say because I am a pastor in a church, so it seems really self-serving to say. But you won't always, all of you won't always attend Hillcrest all your life. Some of you will move away. Some of you might switch churches. I don't know. Whoever that pastor is in that future church, you might go, I don't like his decision-making. I don't like the way he leads. I don't like the way the music is. I don't like this. I don't. You should follow their leadership. And unless they ask you to disobey God, follow. It's crazy. You say, really, Steve, do you adopt that for your life? Yes, I've always believed that's the truth. Have I always followed it through? No, I got kicked out of high school in grade 11. I was suspended, kicked off the track team, kicked out of gym class because I was rebellious. But I knew in the back of my mind what was true and what God required was to recognize that the authorities he, he's given, even when those authorities are, you could say most of what they're doing is wrong. That God has allowed them. He hasn't prevented them from coming into that place of authority. It's very tricky because I don't always like the authorities I'm under in every scenario. But I realize that I'm called to obey them as, as unto the Lord, right? 
Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. That's a big thing. You better be nervous about being in authority because you're going to give an account. So do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So sometimes you say, wow, I heard from God. Now I don't need to listen to anybody. I heard from God. Okay, I'll give you an example because this might just be abstract. Let's say you say, I want to start a Bible study at my workplace. You know, I see that there's sort of like an unused break room that nobody ever uses. I'm just going to start a Bible study there. Uh, now, probably if it's just one or two people getting together to study the Bible, no big deal. But if you're sort of like putting posters up around the office and, you know, hey, there's going to be a Bible study at this time. We're using this room. You probably should check that with the boss. Probably should. And if you say, hey, I want to do all this. I think it's really going to be great and wonderful. And your boss says, no, what should you do? You should listen to your boss. You should listen to your boss. Because he's actually in authority over that structure. You say, well, that's a Bible study. It's so good. You even, talked, you even started with Bible study, Steve. No, listen. These things, you might have an impression about some direction or guidance or something that you should do. But it doesn't mean that now all authority in the world has been removed and that you're the new authority because you heard from God. You want more nuance on that? Ask me later. But it is, it is a part of understanding things. Now, you'll, you'll see where that works into some of the stories I'm about to tell. Now, how many of you think, how many, let, I just, I'm going to just take a poll. This is fun. It's the end of six weeks. She can be really honest with me because this is good feedback for me to have. How many of you think if Hillcrest was a church where everyone was seeking to hear from God and get direction from him for their lives, that that would be a great thing? How many of you think that would be a great thing? And, okay, now put them down. How many of you think that if Hillcrest was a church where everyone's uh, seeking to hear from God and, uh, and hear from him and get direction for life, that that could potentially be a dangerous thing? <laughs> and how many of you put your hands up for both? <laughs> okay. I'm in the both camp. Why? Because I've experienced both. I've experienced where... Hearing from God has been such a good thing. So good. It means uh, encouragement for people's lives. It's, it's, it's blessed people. It's helped them in times of struggle. It's given direction for when they didn't know where to go left or right. And they, they were able to choose the right direction uh, because they had a sense of an impression from God. I've, I've seen where it can be such a blessing in the church. And I've experienced where people are seeking to hear from God, and it goes south. It really goes south. So I'll tell you some stories. I'm going to tell you some stories. These are the stories. This is probably the stuff you remember because you say, whoa, wild story. Let me tell you a wild story. I'm invited to speak at a different church. I think in my lifetime of speaking at different places, this is the second biggest church I've ever spoken. And it's my friend Dave, who is the pastor. He's older than me. But he likes me, really kind. He says, I want you to come speak in my church. I said, that's awesome. He says, here's the wrinkle. I'm not actually going to be there that Sunday, but there's other staff around. It's a big church, multi-staff, and I knew a few of them. And he said, they'll, they'll take care of you and set you up for success. Great. So I'm in this big church, and I'm excited. Uh, I'm a little nervous. Of course, not many people know me, and I'm the guest speaker. And, and I'm a little nervous a little bit that the senior pastor is gone, but not too much. I thought, this is going to be good. So worship's done. I'm in, I get up to speak, and I'm just opening my remarks, and I see out of the corner of my eye 
a specific woman. Now, it's a long aisle, but she has started coming down it. And she is walking with such determination. She is just striding down this aisle. Everybody's seated just like this, but she's way down that aisle. I see her at the corner of my eye, and here she comes. And I'm like, uh, is she, you know, is she just making sure she gets a good seat? Or is she, no, no, I think something else is happening here. What is happening here? And she is just striding down this aisle more and more and more. And I just suddenly, I'm starting to think all sorts of different thoughts. I thought, well, I might know, I might have a sniff of an idea how to handle this at Hillcrest. But I'm not sure what this church culture is like. I don't know what the rules of engagement are. What if she walks all the way up the aisles, comes up onto the stage and demands that I hand her the microphone? What am I going to do? Now, I'm worrying just inside about what am I going to do, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? Here she comes, here she comes. She's, she's an attractive woman. I remember that. She's a very attractive middle-aged woman. She's got a fur coat on, and it's just flared behind her as she comes. She's just like, whoo! And I'm like, I don't think I can match up against this woman. <laughs> and I'm the guest speaker. I don't know what the rules of engagement are. I don't know how this works. Is this the kind of church where there, when, when you feel like you've heard from God, you have the right to go take the microphone? I don't know. Now, I didn't have to have that confrontation. What happened was, out of the blue, two, whether they were ushers or elders or whatever they were, two guys just appeared, zoomed down the aisle, caught her by each elbow, wheeled her to the right, and back up the, uh, out the way again. And I was like, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I was scared before, but after that, I was like even more scared. I thought that would have been worse than I, it probably was going to be worse than I thought it was going to be. I don't know her history, I don't know the background, but those guys knew something. So I was very thankful that, that they were, that they actually didn't think that somebody who just sort of thought that they heard from God could just sort of suddenly take the microphone. Let me tell you another story. I had a friend. He went to a, a conference and where uh, there was a time of prayer and people would come and pray for each other. And, and if they thought they had something from God for someone else, they would share it, right? Which is something that people do in the church. You know, maybe you're, you're praying and you think, man, I think... What I'm getting from God, I think it's for this person, and I'll share that, and maybe that'll bless their life. And so that was so the context where they were doing stuff like that. But the one person who had um, come to share uh, over my friend, he's a guy, and, and this was a woman, she'd come to, to pray for him. She uh, shared what she felt she had to share, but then she went further. So I don't know what she had to share initially, because that's not the part of the story that really grabbed my attention when I heard it, but it's what she had to say afterwards that really grabbed my attention. So, so whatever it was, Here's what I feel like the Lord is saying or whatever. I don't know how, how that all went down. But then afterwards, it was like she started to give my friend direction. And she said, did you have a microwave at home? And he's like, yeah. Well, doesn't everybody have a microwave at home? And he's like, and she says, you need to get rid of it. He's like, what? You need to get rid of your microwave. You need to get rid of this. And he's, he's like, No. No, I'm not going to get rid of my microwave. It, it warms up my food. I like my microwave. It's like, no, you need to get rid of it. You, when you get home, you're going to get rid of that microwave. 
No, no, I'm not going to get rid of that microwave. Anyhow, this huge confrontation begins. And I wow. So you got to think, scratch your head. Is this the kind of church culture where if you think you've heard from God, that suddenly you have the authority to dictate to other people what they should and should not do? See, hearing from God does not mean you're in charge. It doesn't mean that you have authority over other people. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can't be challenged. It doesn't mean you get the microphone or you get to choose who gets to keep their microwave. But I'm telling you these stories because I've, I've experienced and them. I've experienced them. I've been in those contexts where you're just like, Something's haywire is going on here. Something good is not being used in a good way. This does not seem like a healthy way to uh, walk out hearing God. Let me. I'm going to read just a few verses from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 3. Verse 1 and verse 3. I'll just read those two. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Another way to say prophecy is hearing from God. So, desire to hear from God. And then verse 3 says, the one who prophesies, the one who hears from God, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That sounds like a really good thing. These people are following the way of love. They're desiring to get something from God for another person to speak to them for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. That actually sounds like a really good thing. I would love it if our church was full of that. That's really good. But the things I described before, I would not love it if our church was full of that. I don't think a church should, you know, resemble the Jerry Springer show. I don't think things should be, uh, like, wildly chaotic because of the direction of God. I think actually there should be more clarity because of, of God speaking into our lives and, and, and speaking to us. So, I was trying to dissect a bit of a puzzle. I grew up in uh, church culture, and not just my, not specifically my church, but I had, I had sort of experiences in many different um, environments. And one of the ones that always sort of caught me was that People would often like, have sort of something to say, either to a group or to an individual, but they would often say it in the most um, dogmatic way. And by dogmatic, I mean they, they would say it in such a way that it could not be, uh, it was hard to push back against. You couldn't confront it. So I grew up in a church where, and again, it was the era I grew up in, one of the most popular Bible translations when I was growing up was the King James Version of the Bible. And I grew up in a church where that was, we used that a lot. And, uh, and I, because my mom really liked that translation, I memorized most of the scriptures I memorized as a kid in that translation. It's really interesting because it's Shakespearean English is the King James. If you're not familiar with this, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of like, you know, these and thous, and it's quite interesting. It's beautiful. It's got a great cadence to it. Uh, it was neat for, it actually was, I memorized it more easily, I think, than I would have some other translations because of how it flows. Wonderful translation of the Bible. But here is what would happen. 
When somebody thought they'd heard from God to share with another person or maybe to a group of people, they would begin what they were sharing with with this phrase. And now I don't know if anyone will be able to relate to this, but maybe a few of you will. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's how it would begin. It was like, now where did they get that phrase from? Well, if you were in that era, reading the King James Bible, that is what the phrase that all the Old Testament prophets used before they were to speak for God. Now, I did a quick search this week. I went, you know, Googled online, found a Bible search program, and set it to King James Version, which I haven't been reading for years. But that's what I read in my childhood. And I went back and I Googled, how many times in the Bible does it say, thus saith the Lord? And it's a lot. I think 451 times that it shows up, or, or some version of it. And you know where it shows up? 100% of the time in the Old Testament. The light bulb went on for me. Somehow, when people would read that, you know, in the church they're supposed to be hearing from God or, or prophecy or something like that, people equated that with what people did in the Old Testament. And I actually think that Old Testament prophecy and what we do and what is prescribed in the New Testament are different. I think that they're different. And so you had all these people who were saying, thus saith the Lord, like Jeremiah would have said, or Isaiah would have said, or, or Ezekiel would have said. But I think that there is a difference. And, and I want to just point out a few differences. I don't have time to get into a really extensive. I don't even know what the time is at all. There's no clock around for this one. That could be bad. Can someone give me the time real quick? Thank you. Thank you. So, so I want to give you a few ways that I think Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy are different. Are different. Or, or clues that show you that at least they, they are different. Let's begin there. Let's at least come to that. So, in the Old Testament, let's see what happens when you, you got it wrong. Okay? Some of you know. You know where we're going, right? So, so like, let's say I, I come to you and I say, man, I think, I think God may be saying this. I'm not totally sure. And, and, and but does that resonate with you? And you say, no, not at all. In fact, totally the opposite. And I, Steve, I think you got it wrong. What would have happened to me if it was the Old Testament? Deuteronomy 18, 20 22 says, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this is the message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has, pres has spoken presumptuously. So, in the Old Testament, with the Old Testament prophet, I don't, it was, I don't think it was common for the average everyday person to go around and say, hey, I think I've heard from God. Because there was a pretty high bar of getting that right or not. In fact, when God would speak to people and say, I want you to be a prophet for me and to represent me, they would say, no, not me. Not me, God. I'm too young. I'm not smart. I can't speak well. I don't want to get it wrong. They didn't want to get it wrong. They were super careful. And so you have 
prophet after prophet after prophet resisting the call of God initially until God made it absolutely clear that he was really in this. And then they would go. Now, in the New Testament, let me read you 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 to 21. It says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. So if someone says they've heard from God, don't be contemptuous of that. But test them all, holding on to what is good, and actually verse 22 says, and rejecting what is evil. So it's like, use discernment and test it. Say, yeah, I think that might be God, or, or that could be God, or no, I don't think that's God. But it doesn't talk anywhere in the New Testament that anyone's supposed to die. So I think these are very different things. They're very different things. Let me give you a few more clues. I, in the Old Testament, often the prophet speaking for God was speaking to authority figures. They weren't going to, you know, the average person and just saying, hey, I've got a word from God for you. They were going to kings and they were speaking to nations. Now, I didn't bring this one into my notes, but there's one, I was thinking of the one story about a prophet for God and a false prophet are both asked by a king to prophesy. And, and, the, and the, the false prophet says, about going up to battle, the false prophet says, go, go, you're going to win. And then the other prophet's like, he knows this is not going to go well, right? Go, you're going to win, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. Do you Okay, you say, well, the death penalty for false prophecy, that seems so severe. But realize they're speaking to major national concerns, right? Imagine if there was a prophet whose job was to advise the Canadian government and said, yeah, I think we should just, we should attack Russia. We're going to totally win. After millions are dead, do you think the death penalty is appropriate for someone who would lie in such a very important thing. I'm trying to make it contextualized and modern, but this was really important. This was really important. And so people didn't want to be prophets. People weren't like all excited. Well, some people did because they, they saw it as a way to get, to be greedy and get stuff for themselves and to gain prominence. But those who were truly godly, oh man, they were really, they were on their, their face before God and saying, oh God, don't, you know, the only way I could possibly do this is if it's all you. Because I don't want it to be anything fake. Because speaking for God was so important. It was so, it had such a significance in those days. Look at James 3.1. I, I like this, con back to the New Testament. Compare and contrast these two callings. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I don't think it's meaning like you shouldn't teach grade five, but even there, there's a principle. You really, if you're going to teach, if you're going to influence, if you're going to, if your teaching is going to influence people's lives, be careful. Be careful. God wants teachers who teach truthfully, accurately, honestly. And he says they'll be judged more strictly. Well, that should be a warning to us. 
right? So not many of you should just be like, man, I want to be a teacher. I just want to get my ideas out there. I want to influence people who are really impressionable. Yeah, that'd be great because, you know, I got a few things to say. No, no, you should go into teaching. And if you are a teacher of any, especially teaching in the church, but also anywhere in which you teach, you should be diligent about that and try your best to teach as best you can. I'm nervous about this series going into it. I knew this series was coming for three years. I was nervous about it. I wanted this to be a blessing to the church and not a hindrance. And I know I'm accountable. So not many would want, should, should want to be teachers. Now compare that to 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Wow. That's the opposite. Right? Not many of you should want to be teachers, but you all should just be eager to hear from God. Can you believe that? That, to me, is a really big clue that this is not the same as Old Testament prophecy. If, if, if Paul is instructing the, 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 the church in Corinth, and, and by proxy, all believers, you should be eager to prophesy, you should be eager to hear from God, then it can't possibly be the Old Testament prophecy where if you get it wrong, you die. It must be different. There must be a difference. And I think the big difference, is, as you, you're probably picking up, is that the prophecy in the Old Testament was, had to be right. Much of it is used to form uh, the bulk of what we know is the Old Testament, you know, the major and minor prophets. It's written down for us. It needed to be infallible. But we, what we do today, what we do in prophecy, is we try to sense what God is saying, but it's not, we are fallible. We're not infallible. We're fallible. We make mistakes. And so we need to test prophecy today. So if someone says, God told me this for you, don't just swallow it. Because someone put God told me on the front. That's the modern equivalent of thus saith the Lord. If I could go back in time and speak to the church cultures I grew up in, I'd say, guys. Of course, they wouldn't listen to me because I would have been a little kid, right? But anyhow, guys. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> take that off the front. Don't front load it with thus saith the Lord. Don't front load it even with God told me. In fact, what do we teach here at our church with our prayer teams? We teach them to take, well, we, we don't have to teach a lot of that because they already got that. But we don't front load it with, I know God said. But actually back load it with something that's even more helpful. So I, I'll often get something from one of our prayer teams, something that they've maybe written up, you know, God they feel like, maybe I got a word from God. I'm going to pass it on to our prayer pastor, Pastor Laura, and then she might pass it on to Steve. And I'll get it. And it's, it's great. It's wonderful. I was reading this scripture. I thought maybe it applied to your life. I hope this is an encouragement to you. I just offer it to you with open hands. In other words, no control. They don't phone me the next day and say, so, Steve, what would you do with that direction I gave you? I heard from God, so really I'm now in charge. No, none of that happens. They are amazing. They are amazing. I love our prayer teams. And just the way that they're trained and how they follow through on that. And they make my life as a pastor a dream, not a nightmare in this regard. It's wonderful. Open hands. 
Or here's the other one. You send in, they send, it'll send, I'll get an email and it'll be like, hey, I just got this for you and, and I'm not totally sure if it's God or not. I just, you know, I'll just offer it to you, open hands, and if it doesn't resonate, just delete it. That's good. That's really good. No control, no manipulation, no powering up to have authority over someone that you should not have authority over. I, I'm talking about anybody. That's good. And that's the way it can be a blessing to the church. But when you say, God told me, you actually have already brought a conf confrontation to anyone who hears you. Right? You made it hard. You made people even go, okay, well, that guy's just not open. I'm going to back away. Or else, now I have to push through and say, did God really say that? You just made it really difficult when you front load it with, I know God spoke. I'm trying. I, you know what? That's what I grew up in. That's what I grew up in. So I had some funny ideas when it came, when I actually sensed that, or what I thought I heard from God, I had trouble with it. Let me tell, I'm going to tell you three stories. We're going to play the game, what would you do? What would you do? Okay, three, these are three real stories. Two of them from my life, one from the life of one of my friends. A terrible thing happened in, not in this church, but the, the other church I'd served in for eight years. Terrible thing. Uh, we heard the news that, and they were really close friends of mine, a husband and wife, and the man had left his wife and uh, had just left his wife for another woman. Oh my goodness, what a bombshell in our church. And for me personally, because these were, I loved both of these people, the man and the woman, and knew them quite well, and we spent lots of time with them. Oh my goodness. That Sunday, we all come to church and we're reeling. I mean, it's a smaller congregation, maybe 100 people. Everybody knows everybody, right? The end of the service, here comes the wife who's been left. She comes to the altar, she gets down on her knee, and she just falls. I mean, the whole church is hurting. She is in excruciating pain. I get a phrase, it comes to my mind. Not your fault. It's not your fault. That's the phrase that comes to my mind. I'm on a journey at that time spiritually, just to sort of pull you out of the context, with another friend who I think is really farther down the road than I am in hearing God. And so I've been bouncing back and forth with him and saying, you know, what about this? Or I think I heard God, but I'm not totally sure. And so I'm getting advice from him. And I have this moment, it's not your fault. And I think, well, that can't be a word from God because it's not very profound. And actually, Everybody in this room this morning thinks that. That is the most, like, normal thing to think about this scenario. She had a great injustice done to her. She didn't deserve this. It's not her fault. Everyone knows that. So, what did I do with it? What would you do? I'll tell you what I did. Nothing. I did nothing. A few days later, I meet my friend who's sort of on this journey with me, and I say, um, okay, I don't know if I did what was right or not, but I had this thought, and it came to my mind, it's not your fault, but, you know, that's what everyone thinks about this scenario. So I just sort of thought, that's probably not God, because, and he got mad at me. He said, are you always going to be this way? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? I'm just being careful. And he's like, careful? How could that have been discouraging? Well, I guess not. Did you have to say, God told me it's not your fault? 
No, I didn't have to say that. I could have just went up and said, uh, you know, I just want to let you know. Um, or no, I could have just said, like, I have this thought come to my mind that it's not your fault. I could have said it like that. And then it's not on God, and it's just, it could be God, might not be God. I could just leave it like that. And he said, you should take more risks when it's so safe. In other words, there's very little risk here, Steve. In fact, how much risk was there? Probably none. I, I had relationship with this woman. For me to come say that would have been totally just a caring thing to do. So I said, okay, well, maybe I'll have another chance to chat with her in the next few days. And I did. A couple days later, uh, she came in. She actually helped clean the church. So she was in cleaning the church, and I sort of, sort of caught her off to the side and just sort of said, hey, I just wonder how you're doing. And uh, I said, I saw, I saw you on Sunday, you know, crying up at the front of the church, and I felt really bad for you. And she said, yeah, it's really hard. She said, I went up to the front of the church, and I was crying, and all I could think about is, if only I had been a better wife. If only I had been a better wife, he would have stayed. And all I could think about was, it's just my fault. It's all my fault. I felt ashamed in that moment. I thought, oh, oh. I think I might have had something from God. I think I might have had something from God, and it was so simple, and it was pretty safe. And because we had a relationship, it wouldn't have been weird. So I probably should have acted. Now, I still had relationship. I still could care for her and be loving towards her and encourage her. I still had that opportunity. But I thought, oh, okay, okay. When it's like almost can't fail, maybe I should actually be more bold in those moments just to find out if God is speaking to me. Not that I'm experimenting so much to say, but, but this is probably something that's always going to be encouraging and good. And it might be more than just encouraging and good. It might be dead center on the money, which it was. So here I had something that was at the worst going to be a nice thing and at the best be a huge word from God that she needed in the moment of accusation. So I learned from that. I learned from that. I'm a little bit more likely to try now to say, well, boy, this is a pretty safe word. I should probably just give it. And you never know. The worst case scenario is I was being nice. Best case scenario is I was used of God. I'll give you a second scenario. I'm a, I'm a student in Bible college. This is even going back further and farther back into my journey. I'm a student in Bible college. I'm sitting in a seat up near the front. I'm listening to the pastor speak. I, this is a weird one. It was very weird to me. I hadn't had this experience before at this point in my life. I suddenly have in my mind a picture of one of the students that's in the college is with me, and the word comes pornography. I'm sort of freaked out by this thought. I'm thinking, is that God? Now, I crank my head around to see if he's in the service. There he is. I don't know him well, so it's a little different. I don't know him well. Uh, he's in my dorm, but I, I didn't have a lot to do with him. He was in a different year than me. And I thought, am I supposed to go to him and say, God told me you've been using pornography and you should stop? What am I supposed to do with this? Now, this isn't a word of comfort. This isn't like nice at worst and at best really helpful. This is like, this could go wrong so many different ways. 
what would you do? Now, remember, I've been brought up in a scenario where people like to, like, I mean, posture themselves almost like Old Testament prophets. I was used to my church background and, my, and some of the context I was in was used to saying, God told me, thus saith the Lord. So this put me in a very awkward scenario. I thought, oh, I have to do that? That's what I thought initially. So I am sweating through the whole rest of the service. I've never talked to another guy about pornography up to this point in my life. This is pre-internet, right? This is 1992. This is, most guys don't even have a personal computer. I mean, this is a different era in regards to these kind of conversations. I've never had a conversation like this before. I do not know how to have a conversation like this. And it seems like God has set me up for confrontation, and I'm freaked out about it. So I'm sweating. No, God, I can't do this. I can't do that. Is this what you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? Why would I know this? Is this even you? Am I just thinking crazy thoughts? Now, I'll tell you what I should have done. And I'll tell you what I did. I should have found, like, a Bible college professor or, like, a mature Christian and told them my scenario. Right? Get counsel. Get advice. That would have been really good. They might have said to me, hey, maybe that means you're supposed to pray for that student. How about you just make that a daily habit for the next little while? Just pray for that student in that area. That might have been the advice I would have got. You know, that would have been wise advice, right? But I didn't have the maturity to know that that's what I should do. I didn't know I should go seek wise counsel. I just thought, it's all on me. Felt the pressure. My environment, how I grew up in, sort of put that pressure on me as well. So I was like, so after the service, I awkwardly walked over to this guy and I said, hey, I'll walk home with you from the, from the service back to the dorms. And so I'm walking home with him, and we don't know each other. We don't connect with each other. We're just not, you know, there's many ways in which we're not the same type of people. And so I'm awkwardly having conversation, thinking at any moment in the conversation, I'm supposed to slip in. By the way, I know what you've been doing. How could this possibly work? So I'm telling God, no, God, I can't. No, God, I can't. I'm all under pressure. Anyhow, I walk back with him, walk back with him. I finally decide, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Of course, I was under the assumption it could only be done one way. So I get back to the dorm with, I hang out with him. I even go to his dorm room and we sit for a while. And I just keep thinking, I'm the world's worst follower of Jesus. And about in that time, he says to me, well, Steve, I really appreciated this chat we've had and, and the walk back and stuff like that. Can I tell you something? I'm like, okay. He says, I, I haven't been able to really tell anybody this, but I'm really struggling with pornography. And I was like, well, there it's out. It, it happened. And I was like, so then I went into this evaluation cycle. We had a conversation. I prayed with him. We, we talked. And now the door was open for more conversation. But then I went back to my dorm room and I thought, did I miss it? Did I do it right? Right? At that point, I thought I was unfaithful and I didn't do it right because of the culture I grew up in. Years later, when I look back on it now and I think, you know what? God had his hand on that whole thing. God has, I would not have pursued relationship with him without that prompting. And clearly, that was a confirmation that I had heard from God. So it encouraged me. It encouraged him that somebody was actually interested. He was a bit of a loner. And it encouraged him, I think, that I had this. I thought, 
that actually sort of was a win, but it took me many years to process it to where I got to the point of thinking, oh, I think, God, you actually had your hand all over that thing. You took a guy who was pretty immature and didn't really know what to do, and you used him, which is only God can really do that well, right? Like, that's a lot of variables that could go wrong. And I thought, well, thank you, Lord, that you allowed that to happen. Let me give you one more. This is my favorite one because it's not about me. I get to tell someone else's story. My friend, who I was on this journey with, who was well ahead of me in hearing God, he was just so confident. And then sometimes that is our downfall. Anyhow, he was so confident. He had this couple uh, who made an appointment to, visit, to meet with him. And so he's going to meet with them at the church. And he's, he sort of sees them come from a distance. I think they were coming across the, the, the uh, from, whatever, in the, in the church. And he, they're from a distance. And he had this word come to his mind, a marriage in trouble. So they came and sat down with him. And he did what I would have done growing up in my culture and what I advise you not to do today. He said, your marriage is in trouble, isn't it? And they said, no, it's not. He's like, don't lie to me. <laughs> this is what not to do, okay? This is what not to do. Don't do this. He says, don't lie to me, I, I know. And he had, he had heard accurately things from God in many scenarios. So here he is, and this couple's, no, it's not true. And he's like, yes, I know. No, it's not true. They had this little confrontation happen, and then finally he's like, fine. What did you come to talk to me about today. And they said, well, it's about our son and his wife. Their marriage is really in trouble. <laughs> so he took our marriage in trouble and thought he knew how to apply it to the scenario and said, your marriage is in trouble, and he got it dead wrong. So here, give me a, give you a little caution here. You get a word from God, don't add to it. Don't think you know how to expound it. In fact, if I was to pray for somebody and I thought maybe a, a thought came into my mind and I thought it was from them, I would try my best to, to couch it this way. I don't know if this is from God or not, but I just had this thought come to my mind or this word or a scripture. or I just sort of got this picture that I suddenly am thinking about. I don't know if this is anything. I'm going to offer it to you with open hands, and if it doesn't resonate, just delete it. This is what it is. Okay? So that can be evaluated on its own. Now I might also say, now as, you, as a pastor or a, as a friend who's helping you in this scenario, I, I'd like to offer you some advice. But I would like to make the advice and the maybe word from God that might be a word from God completely separate and not confuse people. See, you sometimes we think, I need to present this polished package of a word from God for the other person. And that actually excludes them from playing a role in the process better way is to say, I don't know if this is from God or not. I'll offer it to you, and you decide. It's your life. If it resonates with you, good. If it doesn't, delete it. Because I am not here to manipulate your life. I'm not here to power up and have authority over your life. I'm hopeful that you will experience more and more of the direction and leadership of God himself in your life. And so that's why I'll offer this to you with open hands and no strings of control so that you can experience that. Let me read to you Psalm 25 and 14. It says, The Lord confides in those who fear him and makes his covenant known to them. If you get a word or a thought or a picture or something and you think it's for somebody else, 
You think the Lord has confided in you. Well, then would you do what it says in 1 Corinthians? Follow the way of love. Really consider the other person. Really care about the other person and what happens to them. And so it's the way that we come, it's the way that we approach that can make this a blessing or it can make something that creates confusion and chaos and disorder and it actually becomes a curse. The God who gives us gifts is also a God of the guidelines, the God of the guardrails. And so if, as we move forward, I, I really believe that I, I would love it. You know, I told, told that crazy story about the woman with the coat and, and coming down and would we have to wrestle for the microphone. I would love it if someone comes to me someday and says, uh, you know, I hear your church is into hearing God. And you know what? I'm a prophet, like an Old Testament prophet. <laughs> that I would say, I'm a prophet I'm an, and I hear from God. I would love to be able to respond to them and say, you know what? At Hillcrest Church, Hearing God is quite common. And at Hillcrest Church, the people who hear from God are also quite careful. And if you would like to be a part of that, you can sign up for one of our prayer teams and get some training so that you can also be careful. I think it's the best safeguard to avoid abuses in the church. Because when hearing God is rare, People power up. When hearing God is rare, the one who can claim that I hear from God powers up. I used to be intimidated years ago when I was a younger pastor. I'd meet someone and I'd recognize, this person, I really think they do hear from God more than I do. And so I would think, oh, maybe they should be in charge. I would abdicate my responsibility. If you're uh, a leader in the church or you're going to be a leader in the church or maybe you're Maybe you'll be a pastor or a leader in some capacity in the future. That's not how it works. God calls you to lead. God calls you to be responsible for your area. And not to abdicate that based on spiritual gifts. So I'm totally comfortable with the diversity of gifts that people have in the church. And that God calls people to use those gifts. But I also know that as a leader, it's on a leader to teach carefully some guidelines that help us to test things i remember once i had to take a guy out for coffee there's two guys actually two guys and uh i split it up with a senior pastor i was a youth pastor at the time he he, he said i'll take the one guy you take the other guy they were trying to hear from god but what the result was not good it wasn't like it was terribly bad, but it was just really flat. There was just no life of the Spirit in it. And we had to make that judgment call. We had to make that judgment call. We had to test that. And so I said, which one do you want? He said, I'll take this guy. And I'll say, that means I get that guy. Yeah, you get that guy. Ooh, I wanted the other guy. Anyhow, so he went out for coffee with him and explained it to him and said, and just walked him through it and really cared for him. And the guy said, I totally get it, Pastor. Thank you for... Uh, helping me and guiding me and disciplining me. I receive that, and I'm just going to be a real blessing in the church, and I'm going to follow the direction that you gave me. Thanks. And I went with the other guy and did the same thing. Hey, you know, it's a little flat, and can you just, can we rein things back and make sure we have it safe and good and careful? And the guy was so offended and so mad at me that he never darkened the door of our church again. So clearly the senior pastor was better at this than I was. <laughs> 
That's why he was a senior pastor. No, I think the real lesson was some people have it in their heart that they want to do what is right and they might, they might just get it wrong by accident and they just need some teaching. Other people have it in their heart that they want to do what they want to do and they won't submit. And that is revealed in a moment. It suddenly comes very clear that they don't want to bless the body, they want to bless themselves. And yet, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that. Let me read it to you one more thing as we close. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, especially hearing from God. And the one who hears from God, the one who prophesies, he speaks to people, or she speaks to people, for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Would you stand with me? Father, we, we desire to walk in step with you. And I thank you for the fact that your sheep do hear your voice. And there's different ways that you speak to us through your word and uh, through the principles of scripture. Thank you so much that so many of our decisions are easy to make because we can see it as clear teaching in your word. And then I thank you for in those areas where we're perplexed. I don't know how to make this decision at work. I don't know how to raise this very unique child that I have. I don't know how uh, to um, uh, manage this area. I don't know what wisdom I need. I, don't, I lack wisdom. But you say, ask. If any of you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives it liberally and do not doubt. And so, Lord, we're, that's where we're at. That's where we're at as a church. We lack wisdom. We admit that freely. And we want the wisdom that you can provide. We want your guidance and direction. But Lord, we say, guard us. Guard us from making it all about ourselves. Guard us from all sorts of abuses that could come up. But Lord, I pray that, that you would protect this church from sin getting into this mix. From all sorts of weird agendas getting into this mix. We really want you to be the Lord of the church. We want you to have authority to dictate our steps. We want to be guided by you, but we, won't, we don't want to be deceived. So Lord, we just ask for your, your guidance and direction. I pray for each one who uh, is listening to you for guidance, that they'd take the safeguards they've heard this morning and they'd, they'd take them to heart. They'd look to your word. They'd look to counselors. They'd, look to, uh, they'd, they'd pay attention to what is common sense. They'd recognize the authorities that have been placed in their lives as a safeguard. And Lord, would you walk with us in all of this? We want to grow, but won't we, we don't want to grow in some defective way. We want to grow uh, in the way that's going to be fruitful for the church as we go forward. Make each of us a blessing to the others, an encouragement to the others, a strengthener to the others, a comforter to the others, and that we do it in love. We ask that in your name.